1: And welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, I'm going to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today, we're talking about politics in Christianity. I want to give a couple of quick apologies out here at the start of the show. The idea, I've had a horrible week, listeners out there. I, I had to have two teeth pulled on Wednesday, and I'm not really in a lot of pain, except for psychological and emotional pain. Um, right now, uh, we stopped... My wife and I went to see the new Unbroken movie today. A really good film. Now, I stopped on my way back to get some fries McDonald's because it's one of the few things I can eat on my Aspie diet and such. So, so I, I'm having those now, actually. It probably isn't the best, but... Uh, I don't really have much choice there. So there's not much I can have here, really. So, my apologies, right? And if my voice does sound odd at sometimes and such, just keep in mind, there is still some pain here and such. But... Today, I want to talk about the intersection of Christianity and politics. How do Christians live out their faith in a political atmosphere? And in finding a guest, I didn't have to reach out too far, really. I just had to turn on my radio. See, here in Atlanta, I pretty much keep my radio on WSB all the time. And I hear political talk radio. That's where I like to hear where I'm driving. I'm not much of a musical person, really. And one of the people here in the area who has his own show is Eric Erickson. He's a host of Atlanta's Evening News on WSB and editor of The Resurgent. He's been a contributor for both CNN and Fox News, and The Atlantic named him one of the most influential conservative voices in America. He studied political science and history at Mercer University and earned a law degree at Walter F. George School of Law. He is currently working towards his PhD in theology. He lives with his family in Macon, Georgia. To learn more, visit TheResurgent.com. And he is our guest today, as I'm sure you can figure out by now. So, Eric, welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Now, if uh, my audience doesn't know much about you and who you are, can you tell us a bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing?
0: <laughs> sure. Uh, so I I was a lawyer for five years and started well, it will help start a website called Red State, a political site. And several years into that site, got hired by CNN to be a political contributor. And about a year later, Herman Cain decided to run for president, and WSB Radio, where he had a radio show, needed uh, someone to take his spot, and they reached out and in just a matter of years, I went from being a lawyer to being a guy on TV to being a guy on TV and radio and running this uh, political website. It Oh, it was very providential. I never intended to do any of it. In mm-hmm. fact, the only reason I wound up being on the radio as a radio show host is I was filling in in Macon, Georgia, where I live, on a local radio station. Uh, the local host had gotten arrested, and they needed someone to fill a spot for a few days. And that turned into three months completely for free volunteer effort. And while I was doing it, the folks in Atlanta heard me, thought I had a radio show, and asked if I wanted a job.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I I always have to ask when I get someone on who's got experience in law, is it really possible to be a Christian and a lawyer both?
0: (laughs) Yes, I I go to church with a lot of lawyers. We just look at it as as we were predestined to do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I do think you study in in the reformed tradition, don't you? Yeah, I do. Um, You know, I'm
0: always amazed by the number of lawyers who come out of the reformed tradition.
1: Hmm. That is something interesting. I didn't know about that. Um, Today we're talking about politics and Christianity here and I think one of the first things we have to get in our heads is what is politics? Yeah, I, I it's my understanding that some people think it comes from for instance the Greek word poly, which refers to many, and the American word ticks, which refers to blood sucking organisms.
0: <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, it, it, very much like that. Um, it, it, politics is the the process, I think, in in every country mm-hmm. of trying to shape and steer public opinion, uh, particularly in a democracy, uh, to shape public policy and to shape public opinion. Mm-hmm. And it has gotten well. People say it's it's so terrible now, but honestly, historically in the United States, it's been far worse in the past.
1: Yeah, I understand. If we went back to say the Lincoln Douglas debates or something like that, but those were slugfest to the very end that the terms we find used, they are nothing compared to what was used in the past.
0: Yeah, very much so. I, I mean, when John Adams and Thomas Jefferson ran against each other for president, the, the invective of the candidates towards each other was way worse than anything we have now. Now, what they did not have back then was this idea that if we disagree politically, we should drive each other out of the town square. That's a new phenomenon. Uh, but uh, certainly politics was was to some degree far nastier than it is now.
1: And, of course, also what they didn't have back then was a social media where uh, where everyone could come and take that, uh, any nastiness they saw and just fling it back at each other just as easily. Yes. So, what we could ask though is, some Christians have some ideas about politics. Like, why should Christians even be involved in politics? I mean, shouldn't we be doing, you know, the work of evangelism and not worrying about the ways of this world?
0: Well, we we should be doing evangelism, but where is the intersection? I mean, mm-hmm. there are we're allowed to participate as citizens of our countries. Um, We I mean, to some degree, Christ did say render unto Caesars what is Caesars. We we are bifurcated just just as Christ had a a human and a divine nature. We have a a citizenship in heaven and a citizenship on earth, and we're allowed to participate in both. The key is that we should not separate them. There should be no firewall. Um, We should not take positions in the public square that are diametrically opposed to our faith. But that doesn't mean we should run away from the public square.
1: Yeah, where, you know, where all Christians would say, where Jesus said, "My kingdom is not of this world. So let the kingdoms of this world do what they will." Yes,
0: that's absolutely true. But at the same time, when Christ was on earth, he was uh, feeding the hungry and calling on others to take care of the widows and the orphans. And to some degree, you do that even within the political process. Mm -hmm. The political process is the process of the people as a whole uh, involved in in the processes of government and civic society. And we're not to divorce ourselves from civic society as Christians. Yeah, I
1: think something else we miss is – there are a lot of political overtones in the Gospels, and we don't really see that in our day and age. For instance, when uh, Mark's Gospel begins, it has something like the beginning of the story of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. I think even John Dominic Cross and Hardy, a friend of Christianity, has said about it that you could literally say Mark was saying, In your face, Caesar!
0: <laughs> yeah, l- listen. We the danger within Christianity and, and politics is some people decide to conform their faith to their politics and mm-hmm. don't realize they're doing it, uh, and others decide that their job is to bring heaven to earth, mm-hmm. uh, which we're never going to have as long as there are a bunch of sinners on earth. And it's all about finding a balance. I'm I more and more as I've grown up. I, I've likened Christianity to walking a tightrope, mm-hmm. uh, and you're you're supposed to moderate your positioning across the tightrope if you lean one way too far to the right or too far to the left you're going to fall off the tightrope that is christianity now it's a tightrope that's not far from the ground you can hop back up on it and and do better but we do have to learn how to straighten our position and and look towards christ
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i'm I'm sure a lot of our secular friends will be out here listening and saying yeah look towards christ but you know when you go to vote You're not supposed to bring your Christianity with you
0: well, I hear that from people all of the time who are essentially their argument is you're supposed to leave your values out of the ballot box. No, we're we we all take our values to the ballot box, and a call to leave your values out of the ballot box is itself a a value, a, a value that your you believe your um, secular values are better than Christian values, and uh, that that's that's a debate society might need to have, but we don't need to. We are all shaped by our views. On how we view public policy, and a Christian is certainly going to view public policy differently than uh, someone who is not.
1: Yeah, I think to me about atheist friends and such out there, I think this idea that <clears throat> leaving religion out is a neutral position, but really I don't think any one of us comes to politics with a neutral position at all.
0: Oh, very much so. There there are no neutral positions in these sorts of things, and saying that you should leave your faith out of it is not a neutral position. It is very specifically a position from, uh, you Christian, you're going to go vote for some pro-life person I hate, so keep your politics, keep your values out of it and go vote for the person I like.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, it usually becomes, you know, keep your politics out of my bedroom, although it then becomes, we're going to force our bedroom into your politics instead. <laughs>
0: Yes, very much so.
1: About what? Go ahead.
0: No, I, I just uh, listen. It's, it's one of those things where I, find, I, I tell people on the left all the time and they get mad at me for saying this, but they say, keep your politics out of my bedroom. But then they want uh, their politics in my bathroom. They want their politics in my relationship with my doctor. They want their politics in my kid's school. Uh, apparently, the 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 bedroom is the one place we're not allowed to have politics. But you can then put politics in my kitchen, my bathroom, uh, my living room, my kid's school, my car and everything else.
1: Yeah, but don't forget, well, you're supposed to keep the politics out of the bedroom. You're supposed to pay for their contraception yes. t- contraceptions and abortions in the bedroom. Yes. Yeah, some we would say. What about the whole idea, though, of this uh, separation of church and state, though? I mean, doesn't that mean that we're supposed to keep the two separate?
0: No, it, it doesn't. That, that's such a, a trite phrase that people historically don't understand. That, that mm-hmm. It was not Thomas Jefferson when he was talking about this, mm-hmm. suggesting that we have this firewall within ourselves where, oh my goodness, my Christianity says I should, I should believe X, Y, and Z, but I can't go vote that way. Uh, no one can live their life that way. The only people who think you can live that life are the people who don't have those values to begin with.
1: Mm-hmm. And when he wrote he was lying for Danbury Baptist and he was actually not trying to protect the state from the church, but rather the church from the state. Is saying, it's pretty much saying, we've set up a barrier, so the state is not going to take over the church that you're not going to be forced to join a particular church because the state says so, right? Yeah. And I, I think if I'm correct, when the Constitution was ratified, there were some states that did, in fact, have state churches at the time?
0: Yeah, very much so. the The idea of a of a state without a state church is actually a rather new phenomenon in mm-hmm. the 1900s. When the Supreme Court decided to incorporate the First Amendment against the states mm-hmm. uh, through the 14th Amendment, one of the very first things to go was the the idea that you could have a state religion. It was very very common, actually, uh even with the founding that the um the Establishment Clause applied only to the federal government, not to the states.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we. Uh, when you and I drive through Atlanta, I'm just thinking about this. We can see several, several churches. You can see Baptists, Catholics, Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, you name it. And to us, it really isn't a big deal for many of us if we leave one church and go to another church. Because most of us can worship in any denomination just fine. But back then, denominational differences seem to be very... Needed and each church had its own. Pre- each state had pretty much its own denomination, didn't it?
0: Yeah, uh, very much so. Um, now there were. I, I don't want to overstate mm-hmm. the the differences, but at the same time, yes, there were uh, states. For example, uh, oftentimes took very strongly anti Catholic positions and mm-hmm. passed a series of amendments in the states against the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. uh, largely being pushed by Baptists and others.
1: Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I once lived in North Carolina. I I was studying at SES, and there was even something in the North Carolina Constitution that no person can hold political office unless they believe in the existence of Almighty God. Right. And I think we could even go back to uh, a lot of people talk about the Treaty of Tripoli, but there's also the Treaty of Paris, and when we look at the Treaty of Paris, it says, I think, in the name of the Holy Trinity, right at the start.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, listen, faith has always been intertwined with Western civilization, mm-hmm. and although there is a large push these days to abandon that, we're we're not going to see it abandoned. I don't believe it. It may morph in different ways, but I don't believe we're actually going to get rid of it.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I just got done back reading a book about how Christianity has to change or it's going to die and such, and every time I read we talk keep thinking, We've managed to survive so far so far for 2,000 years, and it's all these new offshoots and such. It's a few that thing we have to change. they are ones that usually die and go off, and the church somehow seems to survive just fine. Yeah,
0: you know, if, if the church survived its members being used as the lamps to light <laughs> the streets of Rome, I'm pretty yeah. sure we can survive social justice warriors in the 21st century.
1: So, now yeah, I think we should probably discuss also, I mean, like, how we can handle politics today. How can a Christian be informed in politics, especially since, I mean, despite what someone, anyone might think about Trump, we all have to agree, I think there's a lot of fake news out there. Right. Well,
0: I think a lot of Christians have abandoned the idea of discernment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think it is, I, I came to go to seminary a number of years ago uh, starting at Reformed Theological Seminary and transferring over to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary this past year, uh, in large part because of the the realization I had that I was conforming my faith to my politics instead of conforming my politics to my faith. Now, the, the the true story of me going to seminary was I kept getting asked by a lot of small churches to preach, fill in for their pastor on Sundays, and I had never gone to seminary and thought it was very, made me uncomfortable. So I went to seminary, and then they found out I was going to Reform Seminary and stopped the invitations. <laughs> but I, I really, it was eye-opening for me going to seminary to realize that I really was doing a bad job of of moving my politics to my faith, uh, there were too often where I I couldn't find positions that challenged my politics. And and I realized that if my faith never challenged my politics, then politics probably was my faith. And Mm -hmm. there are too many, I think, lazy Christians who, they they, want to have it both ways. They can be a Christian on Sunday, but a card carry member of the Republican Party on Monday and never the two shall meet. And I realized at some point several years ago that can't work. Mm
1: So are you telling me that actually God's neither a Republican or a Democrat? Is he a libertarian maybe or a socialist or a communist? <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I don't think God cares about your political party. He cares about his kingdom.
1: Mm-hmm. But of course that doesn't mean he doesn't care about what we do politically – I mean, oh, yeah, down,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I think that the, I, I have a hard time reconciling people who claim to be Christians and yet su- aggressively support abortion rights. I, I don't think yeah. that you can be reconciled. I, I think when you decide that you understand the mind of God, what you understand is the idol you've created. And there are a lot of people on the left and the right who think that these days. But uh, when it comes to socially, culturally liberal positions— uh, I, I have a hard time reconciling people's uh, faith in politics, and oftentimes they think they've been able to do it, and I don't think they have. But then on the right, I see this aggressive antagonism sometimes uh, more and more with the re- the reemboldened rise of white nationalists, for example, where they're trying to pick fights on immigration, mm-hmm. and this – One of the areas where I realized that my faith and my politics really were colliding uh, was my hostility to immigration. Now, that doesn't mean I'm suddenly an open borders guy and Mm -hmm. think we need to give amnesty to people, but it certainly means that uh, we should be mindful. There are people struggling, trying to get to this country to escape something terrible, and we shouldn't be turning our backs on them.
1: Okay, so when you mentioned abortion, you actually mean Chelsea Clinton is wrong that – when she says it's unchristian to restrict abortion, to undo abortion?
0: Uh, very much so. I, I mean, I, I don't know what church she's been going to, and if it calls itself a Christian church, she might need to go somewhere else.
1: Now, I was looking online last night, and I saw the Babylon Bee had a story about that. So Chelsea Coon says it's unchristian to, to like read the Bible and call it the Word of God and follow Christian beliefs. <laughs>
0: Yeah, a fairly accurate headline there. Listen, one of my pet peeves these days is to have very liberal people claim to, to know what Christianity means. And often, more often than not, they have no reflection of Christianity in what they're saying, whether it is support for gay marriage or embrace of transgenderism or support for abortion rights or what have you. Um, There are a whole lot of people out there who claim to be Christians who, who aren't. uh, And I, I I have the saying that I, I really do believe there will be far more people in heaven when I get there, then I wish we're there, but far fewer people than I actually expect to see.
1: You know, there should be that maybe we should have some caution because any politician can get there and say, I'm a Christian. I've been supporting X, Y, Z all my life and such. And in certain states, that can just be something used to get votes.
0: Oh, very much so. I, I I think a lot of Christians lack discernment. I've seen this uh, for a number of years of the politician comes in and meets with the evangelical crowd and says, I love me some babies, mm. and then he goes to Washington and votes to fund Planned Parenthood, and they're they're all shocked. Well, had you looked at what this guy did, had you looked at the church you went to or did not go to but claimed to go to, you might have seen that this was not a person who was really living his life on a regular basis uh, as a person of faith.
1: Didn't we just have something like that happen in the governor's race here in Atlanta, in fact?
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it seems like in in the south you, in particular you have all of these people who who really talk a good game about loving Jesus but don't.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a, someone who was it really looked like he was going to be the next governor and then came out these tapes that someone had made of him where it's like so like he was pretty much leading a double lifestyle.
0: Yeah, the, the, uh, the advancement or, or lack thereof of, of school choice, I think, is one of those issues where Christians need to be further involved. I was actually having this conversation. I, I think I need to write a piece on this, and, and I haven't. Uh, but, you know, there's been this big controversy of late John MacArthur writing against social justice and others responding to him, and I think they all have it wrong. Uh, and, and I've I really – I'm thinking more and more I need to write something about this, I, I and I, it pains me to say I think John MacArthur is wrong on something because I really like the guy, but uh, there is this uh, – such aggressive push – about social justice now even within the church that a lot of traditional conservative pastors are starting to push back on it saying no 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 sticking their fingers in their ears going la 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 just the gospel just gospel just gospel but we know from scripture that scripture says we're we're to take care of the widows the orphans and the poor Mm -hmm. Uh, on the other side though on the social justice side there are a lot of young churches and and hipster pastors with tattoos and skinny jeans who want to make peace with and embrace Black Lives Matters and, mm. and whatnot. And yet they're embracing ideologies and ideas that derive from Marxist political thought and that are hostile to scripture. And we know that the things of the world hate the things of God. And I don't think that they, any more than John MacArthur should say, no, we should talk about the stuff. I, I don't think these People should be embracing these left-wing social agitation groups uh, in the name of fairness and equality. They need to go start their own Christian groups and and use it as a vehicle for the gospel, but also to affect change in society, understanding you're never actually going to get heaven on earth, unlike what a lot of liberal uh, theologians think, because we're all sinners.
1: I think when we talk about social justice, that's another term that we really need to be careful defining. I remember reading Ron Nash on this years ago. And uh, his writings were very influential to me. And one of the questions I always ask people is, what is social justice exactly?
0: Yeah, you know, the Babylon Bee, I think, has actually done a very good job writing about social justice Mm -hmm. and and doing a, a primer on what social justice actually is. And in particular, that it is Derived from uh, Marxist ideology on the haves and the haves nots and the people with power, the the, the B explains what is social justice is the way it's entitled and uh, the the social justice as people talk about it now. I'm just reading for the Babylon B. A Marxist-inspired construction that sees everything in terms of power versus the powerless. Uh, This version of social justice demands you bow to all government's plans to reform society or else. When someone identifies as a brave social justice warrior, this is usually what they mean. Hand over your liberty and your money to the government. They'll make it all better, just like governments have been doing through human history. Mm
1: -hmm. But but isn't it the case, though, that socialism really is – in the Bible, I mean, heck, look at Acts 2. They all came together and they gave of themselves, <laughs> and no one was out lack By God, that's socialism right there.
0: Right. Well, you, you know, I, I agree with C.S. Lewis to a degree that it, if we were to have a truly Christian society, uh, it would look more socialist financially and more conservative um, socially. And what he meant by that was that if every single person was a believer and we were committed to this cause, then there would be a lot more people uh, redistributing money to help those in need. But as he pointed out and as I would point out. You know, This is a voluntary effort. The church was not government commanded, and we don't have a theocracy. We don't have a Christian government. Our government is, again, separation of church and state. They, they've uh, put in the establishment clause. They believe that we can't have it. So for people saying, well, if you're a Christian, you would support socialism. No, if I'm a Christian, I give my own money and direct it where I want it to go, uh, and I resent the government taking my money and giving it to causes that are the antithesis of my values. Yeah. Uh, it, it is it, There's a, an interesting dichotomy there in charitable giving in the country where historically uh, people of faith, with or without a tax deduction for charitable giving, give far more than people who believe the government should take care of people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this funny meme you can see online with uh, Jesus giving a sum of amounts, wasn't it? Give to those who are less fortunate, help for poor. Says, but Jesus, can we just give him money to the Romans? Let them do it for us. He says, "Okay, I'm yeah. going to start over from the beginning. Let me know where I lost
0: <laughs> you." <laughs> exactly. Yes.
1: Yeah, I think it was last night. I was reading my C.S. Lewis devotional. Since you mentioned him, where he said talking about charity, and he said, "When it comes to what we give, we should give to the point where we at least start feeling uncomfortable about because we have enough for all of our entertainments and luxuries." And our neighbors in need, we're doing something wrong.
0: Yeah, very much so. Uh, we we need to, and, and it's not about us. It, mm-hmm. It's I mean the the whole idea of has said in the Bible that we're to give to those who need it, and if we're ever in a position of need, and and they can give to us, give back. But both of us, we're not making it about us. We're supposed to be praising God, and it, so many secularists want it to be about the government, that the government's going to provide for you, the government's going to do this, praise the government, we all belong to the government, and that's not the way it's supposed to work for people of faith.
1: I even understand that, and we've had Hugh Ross on our show, and he's used to talk about this some but We could easily do the Great Commission right now, it's just people do not give enough to the cause to do it.
0: Well, you know, one of the the cautions I would have is and I, I've heard this so well from a, a preacher in a rural part of the the nation who was preaching it was their tithing Sunday and I was in their church and he acknowledged that you know there are a lot of people in the church who don't have the money mm-hmm. to give to the church and there are a lot of pastors in big churches who say when the Bible says give ten percent it, it actually means ten percent of your paycheck. And this pastor is saying, you know, I I think that there are a lot lot of people in this church who they can't give even 10 percent of their paycheck, but they can give 10 percent of their sweat. They can give 10 percent of their time. They can give 10 percent of their prayer time. They can give 10 percent of a lot of things uh, beyond a monetary figure to help the church. And I think we probably all could stand to use to get in that mindset that there are some people who can't write the check, but they can certainly go down and and serve food or do dishes or help clean up the church. There are people who – they they can give the money, so give the money. But what we shouldn't be is is sitting in a position where we say, you know what, that guy's not giving enough, so I'm not going to give anything until he gives. That's actually uh, – the whole section of the Sermon on the Mount on judging is about that. It's about the, the person in the in the believer's community saying, well, I'm not going to do it. He should do it. No, you yourself should be doing these things, not looking to others to do it.
1: Yeah, I, my wife and I are kind of in that boat. She's on disability, and so – That means we we have to depend on our families and, sadly, on the government a lot. And we really do not like that. I mean, we would love to be able to give more and to do more. So, basically, what we try to do is just give what we can. I mean, this this show is my way of trying to give back, to give out and such, to go through, spend a lot of my free time going through books and such and writing reviews and getting people out here and um, come on, people like yourself, so... Others out there in the world can be informed about Christianity.
0: Right. Well, I, I, there are so many ways for people to involve themselves in the body of Christ.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it's not just money. I mean, just do something simple. For those One of the greatest things we've appreciated lately is, like, I mean, for instance, I couldn't drive this past week because too high on – Oxies, <laughs> not intentionally, but they, <laughs> they have me in those for pain, and we needed to go to a grocery store. So, we're part of Celebrate Recovery here, and I put a message in the group hey, can someone come and help us go get some groceries? Sure enough, someone came, picked us up, and we all went to the store again. Yeah, we had to go to three different grocery stores for coupons and things like that that I had, and buying different things, but there was no complaints whatsoever. We all went out and Got for groceries and thanked him when we got home, and that was it. And you know, people I think miss that. Something as simple as that can mean so much to someone.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, you know, there are, I find more and more people in church, and my wife and I get into this as well, where we think. You know, the house is a wreck, and we got to have the perfect house before we can invite people over uh, from our church community. Or I can't do this perfectly, so I'm not going to do it. And, and you know, Christians are imperfect people. I, I think we need to be willing to accept more imperfect sweat equity than waiting for when we can get it just right.
1: I, I know my wife struggles with that. But even that, my wife actually struggles with self-image things. I mean, that I know that's a rarity among women and such, but uh, she she's one of them. And something I've told her about this is, I believe in that, God gives you the freedom to be what I call gloriously imperfect.
0: Yes, very much so. Uh,
1: when we are talking about socialism, well, I mean, we got this, uh, people out there like this, occasional cortez and such, I'm probably butchering her name and such out there, and then you had Bernie Sanders running last election cycle, and so many people were thinking socialism was just the most awesome thing ever, but you know, before we really critique and such, we should probably discuss what is socialism and how does it differ from, say, communism.
0: Well, so socialism is uh, it is a social economic idea of essentially government control, where the government does redirect. Uh, assets uh, in society to help those who are less fortunate. Communism, I think, is, is built on it and is derived from it, but communism is a more total political, socio political uh, view of socialism where it's not just an economic idea of the government redistributing funds in society and the government controlling uh, the economic output of a country. It is the idea that there can only be one political party. And religion must be done away with because people can only believe in the state, uh, and only the people who are in this political party can be in power. It is far more encompassing than just the the economic uh, output of socialism.
1: You know, I do debates with atheists quite often, and it seems strange that we want to talk about the Crusades and the Inquisition. We don't want to talk about all the millions that Stalin and others murdered and say, well, that – what, when about that has nothing to do with atheism.
0: Yeah, yeah. listen, yeah. there are plenty of Christian socialists in the world. Uh, it's when you head into communism that you have serious trouble. Mm-hmm. The problem is that so many people these days are so uneducated on the difference between the two that they conflate the two. At the same time, uh, we should not be... Dismissive of the fact that, that socialism trends towards authoritarianism, mm. uh, and it is – socialism is very much collectivism. Now, I, I certainly think that here in the United States, uh, Christians need to be more focused on the collective body of Christ and not the individual because we, mm. we preach such an individualistic Christianity. But I think other parts of the world are way too too collectivist in their approach and need to focus on the individual a bit more.
1: You know, maybe it's not collectivism that's the problem, but what – collection it is we're focusing on. If we're focusing on, say, the group of the body of Christ and the kingdom of God, we probably don't have as much of a problem. If we're focusing on, say, the kingdom of man and such, we could have a problem because inevitably, I mean, if you get rid of God, you're not going to have a society without God. You're going to have a society with some men trying to be God.
0: Yeah, very much so. Uh, It's always amazing to me how uh, people, they... They did, write books on what they think God is, and, and it's amazing how often these books have God looking just like them.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, a Babbitt B had a whole story like that with uh, with scholars about scholars writing life of Jesus and such, and how amazingly all these seem to be a mirror, such as one guy being told that yo Jesus thing Jesus was just a straightforward person. He told like this, he didn't hold, hold back, said such and such scholar. Uh, most of us fellow scholars seem to think he's a jerk. <laughs> you, know, you know people don't like um,
0: people who are blunt uh, and people who tell it like it is. I, I'm I no a pastor. Uh, I, I've, I've got a friendship with this pastor who has preached uh, very bluntly in church on Sundays about uh, the parents in his church and how they're they're raising their children. Uh, being too passive with it and being too worldly about it and uh, nearly had a church revolt as a as a result, but he wasn't saying anything that wasn't true.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's one of the great dangers that some pastors even have with talking about these issues. They don't want to talk about issues like abortion or homosexuality or anything like that because where well, they could offend someone in the audience.
0: Yeah. Oh, very much so. Uh, The danger, you know, even in my business in radio, it is dangerous to focus so much on your audience. You have to focus on your audience. If I do a political show in the evenings, if I turn my show over to reading recipes every night, uh, no one would listen anymore. At the same time, uh, there is a real danger in telling people what you think they want to hear as opposed to being honest about what you think.
1: And, of course, there, there would be a danger if, say, the pastor just gave a message of, nothing but sin, 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 and condemnation, then if someone walks in the church who's had an abortion, that could be one of the last things they want to hear if, if he leaves grace out of it entirely.
0: Right, very much so. The... The Christian gospel message should be one of hope and redemption, not just sin and damnation, and uh, again, this is, I think, walking the tightrope. You can go too far one way or the other. You can go too far in being completely – it's all about grace. There's there's no accountability. There are no oughts to the faith, no, nothing you ought to do, or you can go on the other side where it's all the law and, and sin and damnation.
1: Mm-hmm. I think we should also move a little bit back to the whole communist thing and such. About the way those countries are, because it's not a coincidence that the Russian government such sought to dynamite churches and things like that. And even today, Christianity is persecuted by, say, the Chinese government and, of course, by Muslim governments today.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, It is, you know... One of the things that, that is always fascinating to me is this: this it's a lack of understanding, I think, of Islam, eh, even in the American Church, and how you know we ha- we as Christians do have this concept of grace, and that concept doesn't exist really outside of Christianity. There's more this concept of karma that even falls into Islam, where uh, you get what you deserve, uh, as opposed to God shows you grace. You you deserve damnation, and yet He's going to be kind to you.
1: Yeah, I, I really think that. Probably most Americans have never read the Qur'an. in sadly, most of them have probably never even read the Bible as well. And I, I can say I've read both of them. And yes, I've actually gone through Qur'an. It took a long time to go through that one, but I, I went through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but to get back to the whole socialism thing, now we've got these candidates here. I mean, Ocasio-Cortez is right now open and says, hey, I'm a socialist, and yet she seems to be completely ignorant on po- on economics many times, then Bernie Sanders, he could have, I-, I think if all things had been played fair, he would have won the Democratic nomination, but there was some stuff, I think, going on behind the scenes to make sure he never won it. I mean, I even told Allie my wife, during the election campaign, and such I said. Bernie Sanders doesn't have a chance. They're going to make sure Hillary gets the nomination. It's already a done deal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Listen, I'm, if Bernie Sanders were to become president of the United States, I think that we would be in in dangerous times. And, and I, Bernie Sanders is one of those people who I think has conflated socialism and communism. I mean he took his, his honeymoon in the Soviet Union uh, during the height of the Cold War.
1: Mm. I actually didn't know about that part. That is – Something very disturbing, but, you know, a lot of people do think, though, that socialism would really be this great thing. I mean, everyone gets to be equal and everyone gets everything they need paid for. I mean, what's so bad about that?
0: Well, you know, as Margaret Thatcher said, at some point you run out of other people's money, um, which is what this entire economy is premised on. That's why socialist countries always wind up uh, doing worse economically. Um, You know, it is it's not talked about enough that uh, we've elevated way more people out of poverty through the embrace of capitalism over the last two, three hundred years than ever through feudal systems or socialist systems.
1: What about places like? Sweden and Norway and Denmark, and that aren't those usually heard as socialist utopias?
0: Yeah, and, and they're not, and and they're not quite as socialist, I think, these days as some people think they still are, although they are much more socialist than us, and their social welfare states are crumbling. Um, they – they one of the things that you see in countries that fully embrace socialism is ultimately, for some reason, people – you know, it's, it's a greater Western phenomenon, but it really is impacted in socialist countries uh, – People ultimately stop having kids, and at some point, you run out of people to redistribute the 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 grievances of society on and and the burdens of society. They've you've run out of people to tax, and these societies are going to have to rethink economically how they do things.
1: I think I've heard someone recently about China broke their ban on allowing families to have only one child.
0: Yes, uh, and that was largely because of the a, a logical outcome. Uh, they were aborting the girl and always wanting the boy.
1: And that's because the boy had the power to carry on the family name and inheritance and things like that. If you have a girl, your family disappears. And sometimes even if they have a girl, say, well, there's this accident that took place and things like that.
0: Yeah, very much so. Um, and it, there's this there's a social status that comes from a boy in a lot of cultures, particularly Asian cultures. Uh, and you, they were having they've already got now a very imbalanced society as a result.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, <clears throat> that it does, can't we just do these things still so that everyone can get something free like that? I mean. Don't we have the resources to do that? I mean, aren't we the greatest nation on Earth?
0: Well, you know, we like to think that we uh, we have unlimited funds, but we don't. Lyndon Johnson in the 1960s said that we were going to we had such a great society that there should be no poor people. Well, we still got poor people uh, 40, 50 years after the Great Society launched. And as, as Christ said, we will always have the poor. He didn't mean we'd always have the exact same poor people, uh, but we would always have a class of poor people in in the world. We're never going to get rid of poverty ultimately. And a group of sinners are never going to get rid of something that really takes a, a miracle to do. The, the question is, Um, What do we have as our baseline for acceptable living conditions? And we need to make sure that people as as a society, I think we have a responsibility to say, okay, we're not going to let people be completely destitute uh, if it is not of their own making, but also uh, that if you have screwed up your life, the government's not going to bail you out of it.
1: Yeah, I think even a conservative as strong as Ronald Reagan even agreed we need to have a safety net. For some people who, who no father own, fall on hard times, and can't can't do anything about it.
0: Yeah, look, I I really think there are people and conservatives. I'm I'm not a libertarian because I do believe that government has a role in, in these things. Mm. Um, and I there are people who, through no fault of their own, through mental or physical defect, cannot take care of themselves. And I'm pro life. And so I believe that we as a society have an obligation to help them. That does not mean that they need a mansion. It does not mean they need a, a BMW. It does not mean they need to have a 70-inch flat-screen TV, cable TV, and high-speed internet. But it does mean they need a roof over their head, and they need food. And if their family and church, should, who are should be the first resort, can't help them, then I think at the the final last resort, the government should.
1: Yeah, I hate to say that I think one of the reasons – the government has to do all this stuff for us today is because the church really stopped doing its job in this area and let the government take over. And now the government really puts the demands on the church instead.
0: Yeah. Look, I, I think that Christian churches in America need to do a much better job and could actually, I think, do a good job of building back the, the lost if they all took greater interest in the social welfare of those who are in the church. And, and I got to be honest with you, I, there are a lot of people in a lot of churches who are genuinely hurting. And as a matter of pride and awkwardness, they don't want to tell how badly they're hurting. And so their church has no idea. And it is being able to build these relationships. So many people show up on Sunday. And they want to be in a church community as long as that church community is in smooth sailing. But when it falls on hard times, when people in the church fall on hard times, uh, it, it's it's oftentimes a matter of pride to, to not, not talk about it. I, I was talking to, to Nancy Guthrie a while back, and she was talking about a, a young lady who had worked for her who had been raped in college. And she never said anything because she didn't want to bring shame on her parents in her parents' church. And I just thought, you know, this is this is where you should go when bad things happen. Now, we, sh- we are all a community of sinners. We should be able to be open with our fallen nature and the hard times we're in.
1: My wife and I recently had a time with seeing something like this happen explicitly, that uh, we go to two different churches now. She's exploring Orthodoxy, so we go to one of those churches. And I'm still a staunch Protestant, so we go to a Protestant church. And one Sunday, my wife wasn't feeling well, so I went to the Protestant church, and the pastor gave a sermon, and he talked about his daughter, who's actually studying poverty at college, and about how, uh, he says, you know, many of these government programs we have that are designed to help the poor, they don't help the poor. In fact, they kind uh, of keep them down and such. And so I asked afterwards, I said, hey, can I talk to you, some?" And he said, sure. And so after some people left, I sat down and talked to him. And I started talking about the situation we are in and how we're struggling financially. One of the I said is that my wife needs to get some dialectical behavior therapy for her condition. And she can't get at the place she goes to because someone she knew from high school does the classes and her insurance won't cover it and we can't do anything else about it. He said, Hey, oh no, he called someone over and said, she's a social worker, let's talk with something And we did some talking and said, now... Call this lady, she's a marriage counselor, she might know someone. We called her and she said, Yeah, I know someone who does this therapy, and whatever she says, call us back. we see what we can do. And end of the story the church is actually paying for my wife to get a year of this therapy, and it, it, it just amazes us because that's exactly what the church should be doing.
0: Yeah, very much so. And, and I, I know there is a real fear of churches these days getting scammed, and I think that that's fair. But this is why so much of Christ's Sermon on the Mount is is misinterpreted, I think. It, it's not about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of it at least. It's not about the relationship of the Christian to the world, but the Christian to the Christian, the, the believer to the believer mm-hmm. and the body of Christ. And when you're in a church and you've been committed to this church and people know you within the church, then when you're on hard times, the the church is there and should be there to help you. But I'm always amazed by the number of people who don't want to speak up. I'm also amazed oftentimes by the number of churches who don't seem to have a care for their attendees on a regular Sunday. They're far more interested in mission work somewhere else around the world you've never been.
1: Actually, I think that makes this case sound like even more amazing, because this is a church we'd only, we'd only visited this was about like the third or fourth time we'd ever been there. But My goodness, you know, that,
0: that is something. that That's almost unheard of.
1: It, it, it could be, also, because my wife's family is pretty well-known in the area and such, and she's got a good ministry background there, and so because mm-hmm. of that, I think they said, okay, this is something we can— you can trust, and I can also tell people about my website and such. so They can go and look and say, Yeah, this one's someone, or this is someone legit. But my wife and I would just keep talking about it and saying, You believe we've barely been there, and yet they're doing this for us. It just blows our minds, and
0: yeah, that's extremely a good thankful.
1: Yep, yeah. now you talk some about uh capitalism as well and how much good it's done. Or people, but jeez, doesn't capitalism just support greed, you know, the rich getting richer and things like that?
0: Well, you know, capitalism is just a – it's a system of economics, and yes, there are lots of greedy people in capitalism. And one of the the premises of capitalism is that individuals playing off of individuals can create a free market that balances and self-corrects itself. And and there is, I think, a, a lot of truth to that, it, but it's, it's no more perfect than any other system, I think just more perfect than the others that have been tried. Uh, What I I do think, though, is what we're seeing more and more is a capitalism devoid of morality. As as morality in the country has declined, we're seeing a a less and less moral capitalism, and capitalism itself should be able to balance out that lack of morality, except we're seeing more and more people, once they get – Proficiently or sufficiently wealthy, they then begin to advocate at the governmental level for tax breaks for themselves and competitive legal advantages for themselves to shut out other competitors. And I think the government's focus needs to be on a level playing field and get rid of the idea that the government should be able to carve out breaks and exceptions for corporations and rich people.
1: I like what you say about our society becoming less more and such. You can correct me if I'm wrong on but I think it was John Adams who said some long lines of our constitution was written for more and religious people. It will not work for any other.
0: Oh, I listen. I completely agree with John Adams. And, and it was uh, Calvin Coolidge who said that the role of government should be to um, to to make the system fair and by that he meant, to, or to make the system a level playing field. And by that he meant the government needs to stay out of the way of the of the upstart uh, David taking out the Goliath corporation. But too often now the Goliath corporation goes to the government and preemptively prevents David from ever being able to challenge him.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, something I've said about capitalism is that capitalism doesn't really promote greed; it contains greed. <laughs> I yes. So with that, I'm. ...a rich person, and I really want more money. And I want to get the money from the people of Atlanta. So what do I do? Well, in capitalism, I have to come up with some business or service... ...that the people of Atlanta will want enough... ...that they will pay and give me the money. So I have to give something to them in order to get something from them. Now, if I'm in this situation, I'm in a socialist government... I can go to my buddies and government, have them passed a few laws, and lo and behold, I get what I want anyway.
0: Yeah, very much so. It, it's it's as a Christian who is a capitalist who is a conservative, uh, the the lack of appreciation of these things more and more on my side of the aisle in politics is deeply frustrating um, because I I think we're missing a critical aspect of how capitalism should work, and we're allowing. Uh, the other side to build the case that capitalism is a moral and is a bad and flawed and corrupt system that leaves poor people in poverty when, in fact, it's socialism itself that tends to leave people in poverty.
1: Yeah, I think part of the danger is that is it sounds to most people on paper that socialism does seem like the more caring way to go. I mean, heck, you give money to the poor, you support the poor, and you give them things they can't get for themselves, I mean, free health care for everyone – on paper, that sounds like a very good idea, but the road to hell is with good intentions, isn't it?
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, that that it seems to be the history of, of government helping the poor. It, it rarely ever does, and, and and again, we we live in a twenty first century society where fewer and fewer people go to church, and they have fewer and fewer social institutions at the local level to help them. But I think if we as a society are to survive long term, we very much need to have uh, local institutions that help the widows, the orphans and the poor without a reliance on the federal government. Our politics in this country has gotten so nasty and antagonistic because every fight in Washington matters so much. And the founders had intended it for Washington to matter the least.
1: One of my concerns when these fights come up is... Usually something that gets me on the defensive is when politicians start saying, this is for the children. Usually it really isn't. And I I find it so amazing also, so many people are so concerned about the children don't seem to mind killing those children in the womb.
0: Right, very much. Um, It's amazing how... Uh, so much of secular politics in this country has become religious. With the aspect of abortion, it, uh, abortion has almost become a sacrament to secularism. Mm-hmm.
1: It, it, it really is. I, I have told people. I said, look, in, uh, in the biblical times and such, the the uh, wicked pagans and such they sacrificed their children on the altar, but they at least did it for for the. The good of a harvest or something like that. We sacrifice our children on the altar of convenience. We're worse than they were.
0: Oh, no, very much so. Very much so. Um, it is. It's. It's just there's there's a selfishness in American politics now, and it is on both sides. Um, it, and so much of it is fueled by a secularism that has encroached conservative politics, but really dominated. Left wing politics in America, and, and so much of it is centered on abortion. But, it, and you know, it, it goes beyond that now, though. It also is infiltrated environmentalism, um, racial equality issues, and on and on, where we're seeing what should be political issues uh, taken over by people with a religious zeal.
1: And mm-hmm. you know, I'm amazed with all these hearings going with Judge Kavanaugh and such, how many questions seem to pop up about abortion, abortion, abortion. And I've told Ally, I said, yeah, I think my main question I would want to ask is not what are your conclusions, but rather, what's your methodology for handling a case?
0: Correct. I I think that's the way people should go. But, of course, um, the Democrats know they're not going to be able to stop Judge Kavanaugh. So what they're trying to do is score political points for their own side, posturing for presidential runs in
1: 2020. Yeah, And, of course, producing rather silly charges like You're saying that he did way back in high school and such and, yeah, I see, I think most politicians up in Congress and the Senate would probably not like to know have everyone know everything they did in high school <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, th-
0: th- these these current charges against Kavanaugh, they're, they're ridiculous. Uh, we've seen this game before with Clarence Thomas, where they waited until the hearing was over to trot out allegations of a uh, sexual nature. Uh, uh, with Clarence Thomas, though, they were workplace and recent with a named victim, a uh, named supposed victim. With Brett Kavanaugh, they are 38 years ago, high school and anonymous. Now, what I suspect will happen is they will trot out the person on Monday, and they will say, "CC, you said they're not credible because they were anonymous. Now they're not anonymous. You have to take them seriously. And it'll turn out that this person is a partisan activist, and Republicans will dismiss it, and Democrats will say, oh, you're a sexist, putting another uh, another predator on the Supreme Court. And Kavanaugh will get confirmed, and the Democrats will have a grievance with which to fuel their base headed into November.
1: Yeah, I, I have to say that obvious stories going on, I think there's a reason that many of us, we just – don't even listen to the media anymore i mean so many people are say, why doesn't the media just why don't people just believe everything reported in the media about say donald trump for instance and i say yeah the reason i don't is the media's already cured their reputation to me so whenever they say anything i think yeah you're gonna have to provide some really good evidence for this one because you've already cured any incentive for me to believe you
0: very much so. Uh, look at the story this past uh, well Friday, yesterday, with the Nikki Haley mm-hmm. uh, that she had bought uh, fifty some odd thousand dollar curtains for her apartment, and it turns out it was the Obama administration, uh, not their UN ambassador either. It was a procurement office at of the State Department. The ambassador at the time had no knowledge of it. Nikki Haley had no knowledge of it. But the entire New York Times story was an attack on Nikki Haley's credibility. Uh, that the editors of the paper had to then walk back later on Friday when it was exposed.
1: Yeah, I mean when I see these stories showing up, I just say I just honestly don't pay attention anymore because everything's been this huge disaster every single time. And I think about all the things they said with Kavanaugh here already, that if he gets nominated, millions will die but People will lose their health care. uh, We we can be sure the apocalypse will come if, uh, if Kavanaugh gets on the court.
0: Oh, yeah, very much so. Um, We we see this doom and gloom, fear and disaster happening all the time now for the left. At at some point, you know, how is there going to be anyone to vote in November because (laughs) everyone died because of the tax cuts and they died because of the the partial Obamacare repeal and they died because of net neutrality and now the only people left are the ones who haven't died but they're all going to die because of Brett Kavanaugh.
1: Yeah, you you and I have actually talked about this before because when this story started breaking, I was the one who called into your radio show and said – is this in addition to the ninety-three million Americans that die every day from gun violence?
0: Yeah, yeah, correct. I mean, the the use of death as a fear tactic is genuinely one of the most frustrating uh, stories out there that the the left uh, hyperventilates, and it, it's really in my mind hard for them to continue credibility.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd say, in reality, most of us just. I think they've lost Korea. In fact, I think that's what made Trump so popular. Because you know, you try some people are t- telling it like it is, and such that some people saw what Trump was saying and said, you know what? That's exactly what I think. This guy's not afraid of the left. He doesn't care if he offends them, and they really like that.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I think so. Um, there is a level. Uh, there's a refreshing level with with Donald Trump of mm. being in your face yeah. and. The, the left pushing back on that, and, and I'm afraid what we're going to find is is more and more people decide this is a winning tactic to be as obnoxious as possible, and and I don't think long-term that's good for any of us.
1: Yeah, and I know last election cycle was very difficult for some people. I mean I did vote for Trump, and I'll be honest. I definitely did listen to your show the next day because I had to hear what you were going to say <laughs> because I, I remember <laughs> you making all those predictions. And, oh, this is going to be so good, but I mean I voted because I mean – I remember I was a teenager when the Clintons were in office, and mm-hmm. it was such a disaster. And I said, the last thing I want is to get Hillary Clinton in office. So I'm going to go with the lesser of two evils here. And I'd say, I mean, I don't always agree with the things he says and such, but I've liked many of the policies done, the tax cuts and everything else. I've supported those, and I'm very glad we've got, we're going to get two good conservatives on the Supreme Court.
0: Yeah, look, I I I have issues with Donald Trump the man, but as a conservative, I think conservatives have benefited a lot from his policies. Mm-hmm. And um I I I think that having two Supreme Court justices from Donald Trump's administration are really good for the advancement of conservatism long term. I do worry about the electoral gains long term given the president's lack of self-control and more and more voters, including voters who voted for him in 2016, uh, being deeply concerned about it.
1: Yeah, at the same time, I, I think it, if we were going to sit around and wait for the perfect politician to come to the office, it's never happening. happen. Essentially, every time we have to vote for that sort of two evils.
0: Well, you know, but I, I don't think we have to. Um, the, the the idea that we've got to vote for the lesser of two evils, you're still voting for evil. Um, and that's not a that's not a call to get out of politics, but I also think that we've made it so binary as a people that you got to vote for the R or you've got to vote for the D. You don't have to. I, I didn't in 2016. Yeah. Uh, and I go back and forth on 2020. I really want to vote for the guy because of the things he's done. But Then I look and think, you know, I I don't want this person propped up as a role model for my kids. He's not. But Mm -hmm. children view the leader of the free world as a role model, as as do others, and I think that's bad. I if he would just lay off Twitter and and be better behaved, I I could see myself voting for him. But as it is, every time I I think I want to vote for him, he does something that just makes me think, Why are you president? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I'd like to take a brief Right at this point in of everyone, you're listening to Deeper Waters Podcast. We got Eric Erickson here talking about Christianity and politics. If you're here next week, we're going to have a first. Actually, we're actually having an atheist guest. Come on, but it's going to be someone who's, who you're going to like to hear. Tim O'Neill is going to be my guest. He's going to be refuting two different myths from history. The first myth that Jesus never even existed, and the second myth. That the Middle Ages were Dark Ages, and Christianity was anti-science. He's written extensively on both of those, and uh, I went to my Facebook audience and said, Hey guys, I would like to have Tim O'Neill on here? 99% of you out there said yes. So I decided that's probably what you want. So we're going to have Tim O'Neill here next week. But let's get back to Eric Erickson. You know, I I agree with some of your concerns and such. I mean, I, I don't support everything he says on Twitter and things like that and such. At the same time, I think there was a bit too much divisiveness last election where some people are saying, you know, like, if you're a true Christian, you won't vote for such and such. And then others are saying, well, if you're a true Christian, you will vote this way. I think, you know, each person should just be fully convinced in their own mind about what they did. And we should try to understand that everyone else was, at least in Christian circles, we were all trying to do the right thing right. there
0: yeah i I agree where where I have a real hard time with the Christian defense of donald trump is where uh he either is or is not a believer, and there were so many prominent evangelicals who wanted to have it both ways that he's he's this Cyrus he will he will deliver us uh, and this idea that we need a political savior that he's going to save us from the political left he he is not going to save us. Uh, from secularism, what the only person who's capable of doing that is is Christ Himself. Uh, but then there are others who say, "Oh no, I've heard a story. He converted. He's a believer." Well, if he's a believer, uh, the Bible says we're not to have things to do with people who hold themselves as believers and yet engage in um, adultery and and fornication and greed and, and bribery and corruption. Uh, from 1 Corinthians 5, and you had a lot of people who wanted to say, well, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, maybe he's not a believer, but he's Cyrus. It's like, pick one. Mm. Uh, just just, just pick one. Don't try to claim he's some great Christian and then say, well, okay, he's not, but but he's our Savior. No, he's not our Savior. Jesus is our Savior.
1: Yeah, I remember it. my wife, Ali has said to me before sometimes says, if you could meet any famous person right now, who would it be? Now, if I was speaking my own self-interest and such, I'd probably say N.T. right, for instance. But what mm-hmm. I would uh, say right now is back when he was in office, I would have said Barack Obama. Today, I'd say Donald Trump. This is why. So I can get to talk to both of them about Jesus Christ. And that, to me, would be the greatest good that I could do, to get to talk to the person in charge of the most powerful man in the world and tell him about Jesus.
0: Yeah, yeah, listen, I think that someone who does not have a political agenda uh, to get favor with the president needs to. The, The reality is that there are a lot of Christians who view Donald Trump as a means to an end. They are very transactional with him and I don't know that they care about him spiritually. I I say all the time, and I mean it sincerely, that we have a man who, while he was with his third wife who was pregnant with their child, was having a sexual relationship with an adult film star and covered it up and paid her money to keep it quiet. It is not in dispute. Uh, There are, we have an entire legal record trail to prove that this happened now. And have any of these pre- – have any of the president's friends, when they're going to talk to publicly about what great things he's done for God and Christians in America, have they sat down with him and said, sir, you need to repent? Because thus far the only statements we have from Donald Trump on record are that he's never felt the need to repent for anything ever.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that is I think that the evangelicals he meets with should be talking to him about as well. I mean – if you could give the most powerful person in the free world to see the need for repentance, I mean, how good that would be. It would only make all the other actions he's done all the better and such. Uh, at the same time, I think many people on the right don't really listen to this a lot because, and I, and I can understand it because the people on the left have screamed Russian collusion over and over so much that it's become such a great conspiracy theory.
0: Yeah, the the amount of people on the left who are emotionally invested in the idea that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians to steal the election, it is all of these people also believe that only people on the right believe lies and fiction. Uh, There is no evidence at all that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians to steal the election, none. That evidence does not exist, and yet you have people who are emotionally invested in the idea that it does.
1: Mm -hmm. I I think this still goes back to the whole thing we were talking about with uh, discernment and such, and I think we could spend a good deal of time talking about it. I remember when Barack Obama was in office, my dad would sometimes send out these, what I call, email blasts, where he'd send an email to several people about, here's the latest horrible thing Barack Obama's done. Now, I could not stand Barack Obama. I've been a conservative all my life. I've voted conservatively every time, and yet I'd look at these stories and just doing some quick research, I know, This is not a true story. And I would have to hit reply R and let everyone know this is a fake story. And as I told him several times to dad, if we're going to take down these people and such, I don't have any problem with doing that. But let's make sure we do it in truth because I don't want to take down my opponent using lies. If they've done enough wrong, we can find enough truth to get them on. Why go with a lie?
0: Yeah, yeah. listen, I'm a thousand percent with you. There is no reason for conservatives to have to uh, advance and agitate on lies when we have the truth. Mm -hmm. And you're going to ruin your credibility on that. That's one of my frustrations now. People are emotionally invested in defending the president on this Puerto Rican's uh, death toll from Hurricane Maria. And I understand why. And the president's tweet, if you took it at at just face value without reading more into it, was true. There were 18 people who were killed in the hurricane. uh, But the the 3,000 number comes from uh, the post-hurricane, lack of power, lack of clean water, lack of services, lack of food, uh, all of which was because of Maria. And if at the same time I look at this and I say, you know, if the political left and the media weren't. So interested in using this issue to blame the president, he might be more willing to acknowledge the number of people who did die because of that, not during that hurricane, but because of that hurricane. Um, but when the left wants to use stories like this as a as a cudgel against the president, it's, it's understandable he gets defensive.
1: And I like what you said also about how our credibility has is, is damaged. Because me I mean Eric, you and I are both Christians, and we're going out there and we're telling people a story that. Let's face it, it's simply incredible that uh, God became a man, was born of a virgin, grew up, lived a life, worked around, walked around Israel, did miracles, raised people from the dead, died on a cross, rose again, was seen by many people alive again afterwards, and that is an incredible story, and I can understand many people who haven't heard it being skeptical of that story. But if we go out and we share something politically, that's baloney, and they can see that it's false in just five minutes with a Google search and search, why should they bother believing us on the ever story?
0: Exactly, um, we have our credibility is on the line, and it is. It's no coincidence that a lot of the so-called evangelicals who rallied to the president are deep in the prosperity gospel heresies. Some of his most prominent supporters are. Uh, We have got to uh, genuinely be truthful about everything, even when it hurts our own side. And we also, I think, have to do a better job as Christians of saying, I don't know.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I think part of the problem also we have in our day and age is so many times – so many news stories pop up, and everyone seems to think they are an expert on the story. And you really can't be an expert on everything. Such as after the Inspector General report came out, here comes a story about immigrants and children at the border, and such. And all of a sudden, everyone knew everything about immigration law. And people just—I mean, even if they care about the issues, people just don't really have all the time to focus on studying the issues.
0: Yeah, very much so. Uh, That is why I I just, again, being willing to say, don't, I don't know is important. But also, if you're if you go down this road of claiming to have knowledge, then make sure you actually have the knowledge. Mm. Uh, We've got to be truthful with people, particularly with our friends. So many people are so emotionally invested in politics these days. um, We sometimes need to be willing to say, you know, the story is more complicated than you think. And be willing to break down those complications for people. Uh, oftentimes there is no clear one-sided answer to a story.
1: So how should we as Christians handle these things when we hear a claim? I mean it, it's hard for a lot of us to do investigations because we see so many so much bias on one side or the other and as soon as the report comes out everyone already pretty much has a side. Yeah. You
0: you know, oftentimes, wait, if the story is breaking, I'm finding more and more these days. I don't talk about it on radio because it's going to change within 24 to 48 hours. Mm Uh, give the story time to develop um, it, and be willing to change your mind. A lot of times people take the initial story and then don't change their mind. But the other thing is is to uh, remember there's no conspiracy. So many people have, are believing now that there's some dark force at work here. There's a deep state or there's a Russians colluding. Um, no, uh, honestly – I know enough people in our government to know there is no competent deep, deep state conspiracy because they're not competent, um, <laughs> and they would be exposed by now. Um, to believe there's some malevolent dark force behind the scenes pulling strings to try to sabotage Donald Trump um, is to put too much faith in a government you claim to reject, um, and the same with the the Democrats believing the Russians are stealing the election. No, our, our American political system with the Electoral College is too complicated for them to be able to, to steal that election, um, so don't believe that in conspiracy conspiracy theories, There are usually rational explanations, and oftentimes I find that people believe conspiracies because they don't want to accept blame themselves or blame for their allies.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think, in fact, it was Obama, even, who said before the election that hacking the the election just isn't possible and no serious person should entertain such a thought, and it, it, now I look back and think, like, if only the Chris Wallace, at that third debate, had asked Hillary Clinton if she would accept the results of the election. How much better off every one of us would be right now?
0: Yeah, look, very much so. Um, The fact is Barack Obama and his secretary of Homeland Security, uh, Jay Johnson, were both very adamant that you could not steal the election if only because of the Electoral College – it would be extremely difficult to pull off, if not impossible to pull off. And I, and I believe them.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, we could talk some about the electoral cards, too, because some people are now start saying, and I'm sure have been, been quite different, a theory of one thing. Well, isn't the electoral cards just an outdated system that we no longer need? Well,
0: you know, there are a lot of people who say this. Um, there are a lot of people who believe that the Electoral College is outdated. But I think what people forget is that we are not a direct democracy. Mm-hmm. We are a we are structured as a society in order to uh, represent people of diverse backgrounds in diverse locations uh, of, of different minds. And the states are still important. Uh, It is not just the people. It's the states as well, and we've got to be mindful of that, and the Electoral College tries to reflect that balance, that people can't just go to to major cities on the coast and try to lure their votes. They also have to be respectful of the people who have chosen not to live in those places.
1: Yeah, I've told people, like, if we didn't have Electoral College, there would pretty much be, I think, like five major centers every presidential nominee would go to. And he'd forget the rest of the country. That's why we need uh, the Electoral College.
0: Oh, very much so. Um, We we need the Electoral College. We need to um, have that diverse representation in the United States. Uh, It it sets us apart so very much from so many other countries on the planet. Um, Our ability to have a diverse uh, republic – of this many diverse people. I mean, people tend to forget that uh, when you're talking about uh, even Canada or the United Kingdom or any European country, those are very homogenous societies, and we are not. The Electoral College breaks through uh, the, the mass heterogeneous nature of our republic to try to find some common ground for us.
1: It actually does help us get the idea that we are all equal and every single vote does matter. I mean, I, I mean, here we I'm sure greatly regrets by now that she didn't go to places like Wisconsin.
0: Oh, very much so. Um, She's got to regret not having gone to places like Wisconsin. Um, and, I, you know, it's just it's a reminder that the states still matter. So many people think only the people matter, but the states still matter in this country. And we, we need to act like that.
1: Yeah, and I, I definitely did agree with what I heard you say yesterday that you kind of got one of this point why the left just doesn't go up to the Clinton's and say can you all please just you know, like go away and such because you're not helping the because here, any and right that would even include Obama because he comes out and gives a speech last week or so and it's kind of a disaster and every time he he campaigns for a politician it's usually the kiss of death to him
0: oh absolutely um it is it, it's just it, it's striking to me That the Clintons are just – they don't want to go away, that they are emotionally invested and hanging around, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's probably time for them to disappear for a while. Hillary Clinton was rejected, uh, not by the popular vote. She did get the popular vote. But if you were to subtract New York and and California, really just California, uh, Donald Trump won the nation uh, because people are tired of the Clintons.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And I I think main investor are still saying everything saying, let's forget about Russian collusion. I think we actually do have evidence that things did happen with Hillary. When are we going to look into that, Any? Well, you know, my... my-
0: my view on that is twofold. One, she's out of power. She's never coming back into power. Uh, when do we let it go? Ten years from now, are we still going to be saying, but Hillary, but Hillary? Um, this victimized mentality on the right that that you didn't lock her up. Um, but the other thing on this issue is now you have um, Donald Trump's administration, Donald Trump's uh, attorney general who led the chance of lock her up at the Republican convention, You have Donald Trump's U.S. attorneys, you have Donald Trump's FBI director, you have Donald Trump's assistant FBI director, you have Donald Trump's assistant director of of the Department of Justice, and who would lead the investigation, and none of them want to do this. Perhaps there's more to the story than we've heard from Fox News. Perhaps they've discovered that they can't get a conviction, or perhaps it was if people bothered to read the Inspector General's report out of the Department of Justice, that in fact a whole bunch of people were doing this at the Department of Justice, and if you went after Hillary Clinton for it, you would be arresting more than 250 of the top people at the Department of State <laughs> uh, who also were doing it because they had permission, and you can't prosecute when you have to 250 people doing it, um, it looks like it's standard operating procedure, not an exception to the rule.
1: Yeah, and let's face it, I think most of us, like, I didn't read the Inspector General report. I mean, it's about 500 pages, and honestly, I can't... Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: there's an entire section in there where he notes, this is beyond the scope of the Inspector General's report, mm-hmm. but... They did find in the process of this where the FBI agents were talking about the mass number of people at the State Department who were doing this in the Bush and the Obama administrations. Clearly, there's an argument for standard operating procedure, and they would have a hard time prosecuting her.
1: Yeah, I mean it's not so much that you know I'm being lazy or anything here. I mean people could think of it. I mean. I'm like, oh, look, it's, it's you not know, your job. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's
0: my job to do it. The problem is there are too many people who hear me say this and they get mad because they've heard something on Fox News and think they know better than me, and they've never read the report, and I have.
1: Yeah, I, I find the same thing when I do debates with atheists and such. I've read about I've read several works on New Testament scholarship and metaphysics and such, and it's like, well, glad you have, but I Googled something just now, so let's sit down and talk, and I'm – you and I, we aren't even talking on the same lever, and you don't even realize it. I mean that's part of a problem with our political discourse in America is, once again, everyone thinks they're an expert when they haven't studied anything. But just because they have an opinion, they know what they're talking about.
0: Correct. It, it, that's that's just – it's one of my pet peeves these days. My, my job is to read the news, analyze the news, tell people what the news is, mm-hmm. uh, what the truth is and where I don't know the truth, uh, what my view of things are and, and my analysis of the situation. And I, I'm always amazed at these armchair experts who they've heard a pundit on TV say something in a three-minute soundbite, and suddenly they think they know more than people who have read multiple news articles, talked to the firsthand people who were mentioned in the news articles, and, and uh, actually studied the issue. And I'm not even talking about myself there. It, it's I'll have experts on my radio program mm-hmm. who actually are experts in an issue and get some armchair quarterback who's decided because he read a read an article in his local newspaper he knows more.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that that's the one – benefits i think of doing the show is probably the same kind of thing you get because as soon as i get someone to sit down to i think i've got two hours i can sit down and i can actually learn something from these guests by a- asking them questions about the topic that i'm wondering as well it's a learning time it's not time for me to argue with them
0: right yeah, it gets very frustrating
1: But well, I'd like to remind everyone, at this point, you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. And like I said earlier on this show, I, everything we do is supported by listeners like you. And I, mean, I, I told you to start, we are in a hard time right now. I mean, I've, I've had these people. Uh, honestly, folks, I still shudder. I've had my, my wife returns to me every now and would say, what's wrong? And I'll say, you know what it is. And today I said, I just think about the experience and how hard it was. And... It'd be great, honestly, if we could get a bridge or an implant and such to help with that. But that's why we do this part of the show, so you can learn how to donate, so you can help us out with our needs as well. Because if you're benefiting from the harvest that we are producing here, you should take part in the planting, really. You can go to my website, deeperwatersapologetics.com and there's a link on the side help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries okay you click in there and you get taken to a ministry of risen Jesus you've gone to the right place uh, Mike and Debbie Lacona they are my in-laws and they will take any donation you get and make sure it goes to us it is tax deductible you can also buy eBooks that I have written such as The Creeper of the Ages The Apostles Creed and Today's Christian or you can buy ebooks I've co written, defining inerrancy, God and natural disasters, um, groundless Christian answers for this generation's questions. And you can also, uh, you know, Eric, I've heard you talk about your wife on the air. Does she like jewelry?
0: You know, she's not really a jewelry person, actually. Um, it, it never has been. I, I mean, she she has some pieces that she wears and loves, but uh, it, it's never really been her thing.
1: Yeah, oh, You have a second husband to say that on Yeah, yeah It's pretty <laughs> fun because yep. we've actually got a jewelry store here. My friend Lena Clester runs it from Female Jewelers, and you can buy something, and 25% of that goes to deeper waters. Whatever you buy. For that lady in your life who generally does love jewelry, get something special. And like I said, guys, you can... My usual thing, you know what it is. You can buy something special for that lady in your life to make up that big screw-up that you recently did with her. Or you can buy something special for that lady in your life to make up that big screw-up that I know you're going to make with her. (laughs) If you can't do any of these, like Eric said, or if you can't give money, there are still ways you can give back. Tell a friend about the show, share it on your Facebook, share it on your Twitter feed, and also go on iTunes and leave a positive review of the Deeper Waters podcast. I I check regularly, and I get so excited when I see a new review and see how much you all appreciate the show. You you really have no idea what that means. We talk about giving earlier. One of the best things you can give someone is a kind word, and that really goes a long way. Eric, do you have any organization or charity you'd like to see people donate to?
0: You know, I'm a a big proponent of a group called EDGE. Uh, EDGE is – I'm fascinated by the concept. It is uh, veterans of the special forces who go to Africa – and train uh, anti-poaching task forces because what people don't realize is so much of the money uh, that ISIS and Al Qaeda use to fund their terrorism comes from poaching ivory in Africa and selling it on the black market. And so these special forces groups go and train anti-poaching task force forces in Africa to actually help combat terrorists and human trafficking efforts.
1: Mm. Is there a website we can go to for that?
0: Um, you know what? <laughs> Of course, I would say that they just changed their website. Hang on, and and I will find it for you. Um, it, it is. I know their Instagram account is is Edge. Um, it's just it, the fact the work that they do is is genuinely to me fascinating, and I love the concept of helping uh, s- uh, special forces uh, give back. Um, uh, Edge Eco Defense Group uh, and their website is not on their Instagram page at the moment because they're changing their website. No, 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 Mm -hmm. Uh, ecodefensegroup.org. ecodefensegroup.org is Edge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the Eco Defense Group, they're they're full. Everybody calls them Edge. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're they're a really cool group.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I always have to say when we're out in public and we see someone who's a... A police officer or a firefighter or an ambulance or someone in the military. My wife and I, we both have Asperger's, so we're not really good at approaching people like this, but we do it anyway, and we go up to them, and we always say, thank you for your service. I i have nothing but the utmost respect for all these people who are, I always, say, I always like to thank people who are willing to take a bullet for us, so the rest of us don't have to worry about taking those bullets.
0: Amen. Mm-hmm.
1: You know I, I, what you said about edge brings me up something that we could also think about here because this I think can be a mistake for like can make because they're here about ecology defense and think oh boy this is a wacky environmentalist and such and let's face it there are some wacky environmentalists out there but I think we Christians do need to properly take care of the environment still.
0: Oh, yes. Um, this is one of my, my frustrations with uh, the secular environmentalist movement is they've so alienated people of faith from environmentalism. Listen, when God created the heavens and the earth, he put man in charge of it as stewards for the planet. Uh, we're not to dominate it per se. We're, we're to be good stewards of God's creation. We have a responsibility to an environmentalism that isn't wasteful. Uh, and isn't greedy. At at the same time, it it doesn't mean we've all got to become vegetarians and go back to the Stone Age. It doesn't mean we can't appreciate the fossil fuels that God has left for us to discover and learn how to use. Um, But it it also does mean we should be responsible in our choices. But, But primarily, I mean, God said to Adam and Eve and then to Noah, uh, that we are to to procreate. We're to be fruitful and multiply if we can. We're to have have large families. And so there's this secular environmentalist movement that is so prevalent in our culture now that is very anti-family, um, supports abortion and believes in small families because of carbon footprints and whatnot. And that's very and that's antithetical to faith.
1: And I think the emphasis on climate change doesn't really help this. You know, I'm very much a skeptic of man-made climate change, but it seems to be a religious movement among the left. It's like a ship of storage, but you have to believe in climate change.
0: It is very religious, uh, and all the heretics have to burn at the stake. I mean, I know people who are... Um, they believe in global warming, they believe in climate change, but they don't believe in the extent of it as as a lot of the secular, secular environmentalists, and they're being driven out of academia for daring to say that they're overstating the risks. Now, uh, my position is, uh, very straightforwardly, I think it is mostly a natural phenomenon. I do think there are 7 billion people on the planet, many of them polluting. I, I think we are probably play a role. I think that the left has overstated that role vastly. Um, we are, we do live in a symbiotic, uh, planet where, where things give and take and And we take a lot and don't necessarily give back. So I think that has an impact. But ultimately, I don't care. Um, I I don't (laughs) believe the world is going to end by us putting too much carbon dioxide in the planet. I've read the end of the book. (laughs) Uh, I I know how the world ends, and it's not this. And and the hysteria and overblown uh, fear that these people are pushing I, I think is unfortunate and drives a lot of people who would otherwise be willing environmentalists away.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on reading the back of the book and such and knowing how it ends. At the same time, I think some Christians can be a bit too careless about me. My eschatology, I'm an Orthodox Preterist, and I've had several shows done on Orthodox Prism. I think there are a lot of people who have a more dispensationalist mindset would say, well, it doesn't really matter what we do with this world because God's going to destroy it in the end anyway, so who cares? no yeah. no that, that's not a good attitude for a Christian to have even if you are a dispensationalist
0: yeah yeah I, I think so um listen we, we've we've got a responsibility to God's creation we do yeah. uh, we can't turn our back on that responsibility and say oh well the environmentalists don't uh, think we need to recycle so so let's don't. Uh, I, I think if we can, we should. At, at the same time, uh, I'm not willing to switch all of my lights to, to uh, fluorescent lights where if I drop them on the ground and have a mercury outbreak, I'm going to have to evacuate my house and go a hazmat team.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think something else you said uh, there is important about how these people have been chased out of academia and such. And I think one of the greatest dangers in our country today is… These ideas that if you disagree with someone, you hate them. And anything you say, you have to avoid offending anyone in it at all.
0: Right, it, it, the the censorious mo- movement is what we're seeing because the the political left has largely realized they're not winning the argument they thought that they were in charge. They thought they had won with Barack Obama, and and they didn't. Therefore, their solution is to shut down any mm-hmm. sort of dissent. The danger with that is that there will be a lot of people. There has always been gnosticism, mm-hmm. and there have always been people who have said, hey. These people don't want you to hear this thing. Therefore, this thing must be too good. And if you will come listen to me, I'll tell you the real truth that they're keeping from you. And the danger is not that people learn about conservatism. The danger is that they suddenly believe really terrifying things are true, um, which is why we're suddenly seeing the rise of white nationalism, I think, again, in this country is because there are so many people who have become convinced that there's a conspiracy of the government or someone keeping people down and along come these people and say, hey, hey, hey. I've got the secret, and none of these people have allowed you to learn it in the town square. Come to my secret corner of the internet, and I'll share with you the real truth.
1: Uh, if anyone wants a little bit more information on this, I interviewed J.P. Holdings sometime, maybe last year or so, maybe even this year. I don't remember when exactly, but I interviewed him on his book, Jesus Was a Mushroom and Other Lies You Won't Believe. All about conspiracy theories, and I tell you, people my thing with conspiracy theories. is just don't. But I mean we talk about right yeah and unless you I mean of course there are real conspiracies out there but if someone gives you conspiracy theory get the evidence first then see about it
0: yeah the, I think people are way too willing to believe conspiracy theories these days yeah. and and they shouldn't uh, a conspiracy theory uh relies on the ability of people to keep secrets in a day and age where it's harder and harder for people to keep secrets.
1: Yeah, I think Jay Warner Wallace has said the very best conspiracy theory you could have is where two people work together, and after the crime's done, one of them kills the other one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh,
1: to talk about offending people again, though, I, I made this statement years ago, that when you talk about an issue such as tolerance, I said, if you want to recognize someone who's really an intolerant person, it's very easy. Go find someone who's a champion of tolerance and then disagree with them on an issue they're passionate about and see how quickly they abandon tolerance.
0: Oh, very much. And and this, again, there's a a quasi-religious appeal here now where their belief is that uh, in order to have a tolerant society, we must stamp out intolerance. I've actually heard this put this Mm -hmm. way, um, that you have to stamp out intolerance. Well, what is intolerance? It it rapidly becomes things I don't like.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have the same concern when I hear people talk about hate, for instance, and they use this in a way. It's just so vague, and I said, look, not all hate is wrong. I mean, my wife went through some bullying when she was in high school, and let's face it, bullying is wrong. We all know it, and such. But she wanted to join this group anti-bullying about we stop hate, and I said, hon, I don't think it's a good idea. And after a while, she left because she didn't like some of the attitudes, and I said. And always be careful about people who just speak out about hate like that because if you love some things, you are going to have to hate some things. Everyone had better hate some things. I hate rape. I hate child abuse. I hate unjustified divorce or a number of things like that.
0: Oh, yeah. Listen, the, the hate that does not readily induce violence on a person – I think is something that we as a society have to tolerate whether we like it or not mm-hmm. uh, because otherwise we begin to stamp out all sorts of things that that we think are um, just bad ideas and it morphs over time into we just want to stop other people who disagree with us and that's where we are I think with the political left these days is they just want to stamp out dissent.
1: Yeah, my wife has a really good friend who lives up in New York and she's definitely – on the left. Very, very far on the left. But something that we've liked though is we can talk with her about these issues and we were heatedly disagreeing such. But in the end she said, you know, this world would be would be a far better place if there were more people like Allie in this world. And I said that is the way it should be, that I I think Thomas Jefferson even once says like, I've never seen a political difference as a reason to end a friendship.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you on this, and it boggles my mind that people believe you can't have friends on the other side. Listen, I was at CNN for a number of years, okay and went in with a group of people on the political left who I grew up thinking were the bad guys because they work for Bill Clinton. Uh And they became some of my best friends. And we disagree adamantly on politics. But that has allowed us to build strong friendships because we've been able to find other things on which to build a friendship. Uh, Too many political friendships are cheap friendships. Uh, you, You have nothing in common but politics. And unfortunately, we live in an age where we can build our own communities online on Facebook and whatnot, where we can find people who agree just like us. And we never have to encounter a diverse thought on politics, and we are less and less engaged in the world around us because we're so engaged online with people who think just like us.
1: One of the best groups I'm in online is actually a group where we've got people who are Protestants, Catholics, and Orthodox, and we all work together. We all share the same message that, gosh, we can have some great debates going on internally on protestantism catholicism and orthodoxy but it doesn't change our mission outwardly that we're doing to the rest of the world and that's exactly how it should be
0: yeah i think so um uh, you know i i got in a little bit of a controversy the other day by a catholic friend of mine who reached out giving what's going on to the catholic church now and said should i get out and i said look i i'm i'm a calvinist i'm reformed I, i'm a presbyterian i i'm not a catholic uh, but if, if you have made this faith commitment, you're not making it to an individual church or to a priest. You're, you're making it between you and God. and. You uh, use this as an opportunity not to flee from it, but to engage yourself in your child's spiritual growth. And instead of passing your kid off to a priest, uh, you go too and, and hang out and learn something yourself and and build a bond with your child through through shared faith. And people are like, I can't believe you didn't tell them to get out of the Catholic Church and, and become a Protestant or become a Presbyterian because of the heresies of the Catholic Church. So I was like, it's not, it's not my place in that sort of conversation to do that. We've we I, I know plenty of Catholics who I think probably are, are ahead of me in the line getting past the pearly gates. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I when I meet people and say, Well, do you think Catholics are Christian? I said, Some of them are. Some Presbyterians <laughs> yeah. are, some Methodists yeah, are exactly. some Baptists are
0: <laughs> Yes, very much so. Yeah. I, I I I I know people who go to church regularly and I'm I'm not sure I'm gonna see see them there.
1: Yeah. And I I happen to agree with what you were saying, I mean, to to take the time to say, Yes, yes, you need to get out of here, I mean, that would have been very opportunistic. At the time. And I don't think that's the action that Christ would endorse.
0: Yeah. I I agree. Mm -hmm. Uh, I agree for my uh, brothers and sisters in the faith who are Catholic right now. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about another issue since you mentioned hate that doesn't lead to violence. Such, And this is one that I think Christians can dispute on a lot of times. And that would be the issue of gun control. I mean, we see something like the Parkland shooting take place. You hear about all these... Dead children, such and some would say, "Well, shouldn't we just get rid of the guns?" And we say, "Why would any Christian even want to have a gun in the first place?" I mean, what about this whole thing of "you shall not kill" and things like that? I mean, why would a Christian support gun rights?
0: Well, you know, I had a lady call my radio show one night who who asked this question and said, "The Bible says thou shalt not kill," and I said, "Oh, oh, oh really? Why don't we flip over one page?" Uh, and go through if if the son disrespects the parents, you kill him. If this person does this, kill him. If this does this, kill him. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. Uh, it's it's thou shalt not murder, not thou shalt not kill. Uh, and I, I believe we are entitled to self defense in this country. And people want to wrap this up as a as a spiritual, religious, Christian issue. And I, again, I think this is where the the separation of of Our faith and our civic society differ to some degree if we were all in a Christian society we would probably not need to have guns, but I've had people show up at my house to threaten my family. I've had my Mm -hmm. children threatened in a grocery store. Uh, You're darn right, I've got a gun. Mm. Uh, And we live in a society where you've got more guns than people, and for everyone to say, well, let's round up the guns and whatnot, well, we have a constitutional right to a gun. It's called the Second Amendment. You can't apply British law or Canadian law or or Australian law to a a country that has a Second Amendment unless you're gonna repeal that amendment, which you're not gonna do. So my preferred solution, frankly, is more guns, not less guns. Um, ha- have more people, uh, get people to take courses on gun safety, and, and, and arm people, and, and make sure they know how to use their guns, as opposed to uh, taking them all away.
1: I actually like something that Penn Jillette once said, I mean, I probably disagree with his atheism, but he's a strong libertarian, Ain't he talked about how we have um, security at airports to remove guns, and such, and he said, my thinking is, let the criminals figure out who does and doesn't have a gun. Let, let them go on planes and think, if I try to blow this plane up, does a person sitting next to me have a gun who can be willing to take take me out at a moment's notice?
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I'm I'm a firm believer that the Second Amendment is for us to use uh, to use responsibly, and I, I think we should have more people taking advantage of it.
1: Yeah, it's my thing. If you go to a place like say a school building or a courthouse or such, and it's got a sign outside that says "gun free zone." I think you might as well X that out and put sitting ducks right here. Yes, absolutely. I mean, all you're doing is advertising. This is the place where you can go on a shooting spree and no one can stop you.
0: Yes, yes, very much so.
1: And we talk about people not being informed on the issues. And I think that's happened after Parkland because you got people like David Hogg, for instance, going out there who think that because they're young, they've been through a school shooting, that they know everything about this, I mean, it got so bad that even Michael Moore was having to tell him, "Hey, be quiet about this, okay?"
0: Yeah, it, it, listen, the the ability of the media to put up heroes on the left and, and turn turn gun control into an issue. This is why so many people don't trust the media. You look at CNN, and they have engaged in direct advocacy on this issue. And so many of the people they put up to talk about this issue, including the reporters, don't know the first thing about a gun, have never held a gun.
1: Yeah. I remember debating someone, say my father-in-law's page, because he's, he's very big in the second amendment and such. And I was like, we need to get rid of all these assault weapons. And I'll just go. And the first question I ask is, can you tell me what an assault weapon is? And most people don't even have a clue.
0: Right. Yeah, they, they don't. Um, they don't know. Essentially, it is a spooky looking gun. They have no idea. And that's one reason that the assault weapons ban failed. People forget that Columbine happened during the assault weapons ban.
1: And there have been other school shootings since Parkland here. Uh, the reason we don't talk about them is usually those school shootings were stopped because there was a good guy with a gun, such as a cop or something, right there, who was able to right. stop the shooting speed. as soon as that happens, I was like... Harry, you are not going to hear about this story on the news. It is not interesting to them.
0: Exactly. Um, you you never hear about those. The the clear shift in antagonism of the media on this issue is, is why they lack credibility on it. And frankly, you do have 300 million people in this country, and there are 400 million guns. So many Americans own guns. They know much of what the media says about it isn't true.
1: And back a few months ago, they had a shooting at the YouTube place and such. I mean – Normally, that would have been talked about for days, but I think it was came out as soon as it was found out that this wasn't a card-carrying, right-wing, conservative Trump supporter, they just weren't interested because these shootings are actually done, done by people who are left wing.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's amazing. You know immediately what stories are going to disappear from the front page based on the political ideology of the person. It was like the the person who flew the plane in Austin, Texas into the IRS building, Mm -hmm. uh, and when it was revealed that he was a Marxist who who hated paying into a capitalist system, the story went away immediately during the Obama administration.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I said at the start of the show, my wife and I went to see the Unbroken movie together. Yes. They – they played, we saw the previous inform they had one for Schindler's List, the 25th anniversary. Apparently, it's going to be in theaters again. And said, Now we need this more than ever. And as soon as I saw that, my suspicions went straight up immediately. And I, I talked to Valerie about it and said, Well, I think it could be any number of groups they have in mind. It could be homosexuals, Muslims, immigrants. The whole Black Lives Matter, and it's going to be trying to compare them to the real suffering that the Jews underwent in the Holocaust.
0: Yeah, the – this whole idea that Donald Trump is an authoritarian figure, you know, maybe he is – uh, behind the scenes. I mean, he said things that, that lead you to believe it. But uh, he, the left should be delighted that, in fact, he doesn't seem to be competent enough to pull off the authoritarianism they claim he wants, mm-hmm. um, because otherwise he could. Um, it, it, people have whipped themselves into a frenzy. And I don't think it's helpful to compare the Trump administration to Nazis mm-hmm. or or the plight of American liberals to Jews during the Holocaust, which is what people want to do. The, it, it degrades and demeans the real mm-hmm. tragedy in order to elevate someone else's grievance.
1: Yeah, and really, I, I don't think these people are anywhere near the victims. I mean, Muslims, for instance, I mean, Muslims are always, were ones responsible for 9-11, and let's not forget ISIS and things like that, and if a homosexual left, where well, we've seen what they're wearing to do with places like Masterpiece Theater and, and Masterpiece Bakery and such, and things like that and such. I mean, it, it's easy for so many groups to cry, victim... And then, at the same time, make a war cry and try and eliminate anyone who disagrees with him.
0: Yeah, very much so. Uh, it is is—it's—it is really, really frustrating. The the real lack of tolerance for different opinions. Archbishop Chaput of Philadelphia has a great saying that evil preaches tolerance until it's dominant, and then it seeks to silence good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the real idea of tolerance people seem to forget is that you have to disagree – On something serious and say, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to be your friend. But by God, I'm not going (laughs) to defend this. believe me. It's kind of things like that. I may not not defend what what you believe, but I'm sure going to defend your right to believe it and say it.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: So what kinds of things can we Christians then be doing in our atmosphere if we want to have a good influence politically on the culture?
0: Uh, You know – Jeremiah 29.7, I believe it is, says, seek the welfare of the city in which you're in exile, and there you'll find your welfare. Mm. Uh, and if you actually look into the, the word choice used in the in the Hebrew, it, it does mean city. It doesn't mean your, your nation. And I think Christians need to get back to seeking the welfare of their local communities and showing that they are committed to their local community, that they are committed to seeking the welfare of the, the widows, the orphans, and the poor in their community – uh, and be, be seen in their community as helping improve the lives of people in their community. And it becomes harder and harder for people to characterize Christians as some sort of bigoted monsters when they see it's the Christians going in and getting their hands dirty when others want. I mean, you you go to Africa, you see the doctors there in Western Africa during the Ebola outbreaks. Uh, Those are by and large Christian organizations sending doctors and nurses there to help. Christians need to be in their communities getting their hands dirty, shedding Mm -hmm. tears over their local community.
1: And this is what we've done historically for a long time, even plague swept through the Roman Empire at the end of the century, beginning of the 3rd, sometime around there, it was Christians who were staying and helping the sick, while even the great physician Gowden turned tail and ran.
0: Yes, yes. We need more of that.
1: I think some more problems we have is so many of us think we have to do something big on a huge national level. We forget the very first lever you're supposed to operate on is helping the the person who lives right next door to you.
0: Yes. We we need to know our neighbors as Christians. Mm-hmm.
1: That's right. My wife and I, we live in an apartment complex. And whenever we have new neighbors come in, I try and get to know them. Uh, I usually, though, don't go right out and say, "Me, hey, I'm a Christian because I think that could turn some people off. And yes, it, I think so. It gets very interesting because I have some people coming in and they make it clear that they are living together and such, yeah. and I, I kind of wonder, I wonder how open you'd be about this if you guys, I mean, I don't preach anywhere, but technically, I am an ordained minister, and how much you'd be willing to say that to me, But I try and just sit there and not speak in a judgmental way, and such, so if it came up, I'd just say, yeah, I don't think you should be doing this, and here's why.
0: Right, you know... I, I find that uh, Christians need to be better at building relationships in their community and, and build relationships with sinners.
1: Yep. We actually went to a, a church event maybe about a year or so ago, and I went and sat in the, this chair in the living room, and it was a husband wife's house, and their daughter was there. And she's talking about this guy she was dating and such, and apparently they'd been dating for a while. I said, well, when are you going to get married? I says well, i might- it looks like we're going to wait a while because he says he wants to travel first and things like that. And my red flags went up immediately with that and mm-hmm. said, you know, when I hear that, what what I get out of it is he's saying this. For me, traveling the world is more important, better to me than my commitment to you. And I started asking questions about their relationship and I was pretty sure they were living together and such. So I started given statistics, here's why living together doesn't help your relationship, here's the dangers, here's why you shouldn't be having sex before marriage, and things like that, and such. And my dad was sitting there the whole time saying, and he was afterwards just me, gosh, I've been trying to tell her all this stuff for so long, and she hasn't been listening, and you just came out here and said it, and I think she did wind up listening at the end, and such, and I said, I think it's just, you know, a lot of kids don't really listen to their parents, but when I talked to this girl, I was just I wasn't judgmental at her, I wasn't being in her face or screaming, I was just saying, Here's the facts and I even called Alia and said, Hey Arya, here's what I've said about this guy, here's my opinion. Do you agree? Yep, I agree with you.
0: Yeah. That's what you have to do.
1: And what do we want what should we do if we want to get politically involved? I mean, should we go should we write for our congressman? Should we join Uh, a group online or go to a town hall meeting, what kind of steps can we be doing? Yeah,
0: I mean, be be involved in the political process. Go vote. Um, Get to know your member of Congress if you can. Um, Be willing to contribute to good candidates. Exercise discernment in who the good candidates are. Get involved in your local political process. Go to local city council meetings and weigh in on the topics of the day. Uh, Write letters to the editor. Uh, We are to involve ourselves In these processes, I think we can't separate ourselves from them. Um, But we also need to be mindful of the fact that if we devote all of our attention to Washington, we're not devoting our attention to the things that Christians should do, which is taking care of the widows, the orphans, and the poor and and Mm -hmm. focusing on Christ.
1: Yeah, and I know we've spoken a lot of negative things about social media, but we also can realize we can use social media for good. I mean I know you're active on Twitter, for instance. I'm not so much, but… I try and do a lot on Facebook, and when we're on there, we can speak about social issues.
0: Yes, I, I. we should not be afraid to speak out.
1: But when we do, we should also, of course, always go and inform ourselves and do so realistically, because I mean, this is what you do for a living, in fact, but there's no way you even can go and inform yourself on every political issue out there.
0: Yeah, look, we've got to be able to engage people. We, we, we really do. Engage them where they are. Uh, be winsome and smile and be kind, but also realize that we are – we're headed to eternity. and We've got obligations along the way.
1: Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it, it, I think Aristotle would have a whole idea. I mean it, it's finding a balance in all things, in – and I had some fun talking about this uh, guy who made a video years ago talking about a game that people were playing on their phones and such. And he said, well, all this time you're playing, you could be doing evangelism. And I made a big joke about that kind of thing, saying, yeah, I was going to take my wife out on a date, but uh, I could have been doing evangelism. I was going to go <laughs> have lunch, but uh, I could have been doing evangelism. I and mean, any number of things, I mean, all these are, ex- are good things, but if all you did even was just evangelism you would wear yourself out as well. You we have to find the balance everywhere.
0: Yes, you, balance is very key. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And how should we handle those people we meet then who disagree with us? Because too often those things can become quite cantankerous, as it were.
0: Well, you know, never give in to, to being angry. Mm-hmm. Um, be willing to be kind. You're you're not gonna be make friends with everyone you meet. Um, but you don't have to make them your enemy. Mm-hmm. If if they decide they don't like you, let it be on them. But you don't don't go out of your way to be antagonistic.
1: Yeah, uh, I generally agree about about. I'll say I can't be blunt with some people. I, if I find someone's being an idiot, I'll usually go out and say it after enough time so I'm not putting <laughs> up. it I mean, yeah, I, mean,
0: I understand. The only
1: time uh, you're very really fine, me very really getting angry online, and my sound guy loves to hear us because he can tear our passion. in my voice is that. If someone disagrees with my wife on Facebook, that's okay. I disagree with her sometimes too, but if they dare to go after her, oh my god, the claws are going to come out, and I think pretty much everyone on Facebook knows who we are. We sit back, we get some popcorn, and we watch the show, because if you go after Nick's wife at all, he comes after you, and he comes after you with a vengeance, and he does not let it go. (laughs)
0: Right, very much so. Um, we've we, we, we There are boundaries, and, and we need to to live within those boundaries.
1: Yeah, Eric, we've come to the part where we, we do have to part ways for now because it's getting near to the end. I've really enjoyed getting to talk with you, and thank you for being so generous of your time. My wife was really surprised. He's going to sit with you for two hours? He's a very really busy guy. And like, he does that much on his radio show every day too. <laughs>
0: But yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: I'm glad to have you on here. Um, Do you have a blog, website, and email where people can get in touch if they want to find out more? Yes, Uh,
0: people can go to theresurgent.com and email me at eric, E-R-I-C-K, at theresurgent.com.
1: Okay. And do you have any final words you'd like to leave for the Deeper Waters audience?
0: Uh, yes. Um, just, you know, be willing to go into the world, but r- understand that you're supposed to, like, change the world, not have the world change you. We're, we've got a higher purpose in life. We're headed home to eternity. There's no reason to be angry because we know how the story ends.
1: Well, yeah, I'd like to thank you for coming on. I hope we'll see you back here again sometime.
0: Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. I
1: like to remind everyone that next week we're going to have Tim O'Neill on here, our first atheist guest talking about Jesus mythicism in worse for Middle Ages, but Dark Ages. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off.